Show up eventually. Are we still not showing up here? That's really weird. Eh, whatever. Show's just for us tonight. Hopefully it'll work. YouTube studio is acting super weird all of a sudden. Are we live? I think I'm live. Are we alive, though? That's the big I, question. I, I think we're on. <laughs> it says excellent connection. It says we're streaming. I'm not getting a preview. Oh, I it says, see it on it says YouTube. Jeff though. is muted. But Jeff's OBS. Muted. I hear you. Skull OBS has Mike gain oh. happening. He says we have audio. We are alive. Now we have audio. Now we're live. Okay. YouTube Studio is acting super weird. Uh, so it's not actually showing me my stream preview, which worries the living daylights out of me. Um, uh, we can hear both of you. We can see both of you. Excellent. Okay. You guys are live and alive. All right. There we go. Hey, we're live. We're doing it. Now Welcome later. to Talking Heads, everyone. Episode 249, your once-week live show for the latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. I'm Red. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Wednesday night or in podcast form over on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If you can't catch the full show, make sure to subscribe to Craft Extra for clips from tonight's show. If you've never seen the show before, we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk games, pop culture, entertainment, sometimes some Star Trek. All Super Chats are read on the air, so long as they will not permanently demonetize the channel. We do drink alcohol on the show, and if you're drinking along with us, alcoholic or not, let us know in the chat and we'll give some early show shoutouts as we go along. Last but not least, if you'd like to take part in the super secret chat and the even more super secret after party, think about joining the Patreon. Link is down in the video description. As a bonus, you'll get exclusive access to my Discord server, where you can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, and join the awesome community that hangs out over there. Audio is just a tad off sync for Jeff. I may try to reload YouTube. All I can tell you is, well, for once, the video conference is uh, cooperating, and OBS says I'm good. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I do know YouTube's being weird, though. Yeah, it usually happens. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it's off on mine, too, which is kind of weird, but I normally just keep it here and don't bother. So Audio is like a quarter second off, says Scott. God, that's, that's horrible. Jeff's audio sync is, never mind, it is good now. Everyone just refresh your YouTube. Uh, turn it off, turn it back on again. I'm going to get on the phone with Susan. I'm going to have her flip the switch real quick. Uh, we'll get this, dip, this ship turned around. Yeah, get this, get the step turned around. Yeah, get the step in the... <laughs> yes. Okay, well, you know, this is usually my favorite part of the show, where we try to figure out what the heck is going wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it's been five minutes of that now. Uh, look, I don't want to cut into this precious time we have together, Jeff, but I need wow. to drink a beer. <laughs> you know what? Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> I, I, you're anxious to go. I'm, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Well, uh, somebody sent this uh, to you, Jeff, and uh, 
two were supposed to go to John, two were supposed to sit in your fridge, but you were kind enough to share uh, your your stash with me. So I've got uh, Bunny with a chainsaw. Uh, looks freaking awesome. Nice. Looking forward to this one. A double dry hopped hazy India pale ale. Well, that right there is why you shared it with me because it's a hazy. Um, I love a good hazy. From Paperback Brewing. Um, so let's crack this open and see what's up. Awesome. Ah. Oh, I already like that taste just off my thumb. <laughs> that That's always a good indicator. All right. Uh, I'm not sure which one I want to start with tonight. Let's see. I've got from Brewski Artisan Ales in Montreal. And I've also got an, an all-time classic, uh, speaking of hazies. So, you know, I think I'm going to start with the Brewski. So this is the ASME Pale Ale from the Brewski in Montreal, uh, Montreal, Quebec. It's a 5% Pale Ale using Citra and Galaxy Hops. Perfect. That sounds delicious. Ooh. Look at the color on that. Although this isn't true color accurate because my camera, it looks way darker than it is. Yeah. Plus I hold it up, I'm blocking the light. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, this Ooh, is yours looks good. Interesting color. Yeah. Yours looks delish. Ooh, delish? What? <laughs> it's can't put words together today. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling with that as well today. Uh it's like a lemon cream ale on the nose. Like super, super sweet yet citrusy. Like I got high <sighs> hopes for this one. All right. Uh, before we get into the news tonight, I do want to talk about something ever so briefly. Uh, if you haven't read the first line in the video description, go take a look at that. Um, I don't want any super chats tonight. I, I don't want to see them. What I want you guys to consider doing is heading on over to the GoFundMe for El Jefe Reviews. Uh, he lost his wife very unexpectedly yesterday morning. Uh, and uh, a GoFundMe has said, been set up to help cover those type expenses. Uh, El Jefe is an awesome dude. I've known Jeff for a couple of years. Uh, Always great to talk to uh, in my my couple limited interactions that I've had with him, but uh, uh, I I know quite a few people who know him very well and uh, can't say enough good things about him. So uh, if you are thinking about giving a super chat tonight, uh, please don't. In lieu of that, please go uh, help uh, help a good friend of mine. So. And I hate starting with with news like that. So anyway, let's try to keep this show going. Uh, so <laughs> I know it's a somber way to start. Um, all right, let's see. We got Jason drinking an Enkasi, uh Epilosaurus Celestial IPA. I've not had that one from Ninkasi. 7.2%. Uh, let's see. Skull's got a Toppling Goliath limited edition Oktoberfest lager. Nice. 
Uh, Sean's got an Indulgence Canteen Brewhouse Exodus IPA, 7.2%. Sorry, Canteen Brewhouse. Today's Indulgence is. I, I get it now. Uh, let's see. I've got a Level Beer, Game On IPA, brewed in Portland, Oregon. Barn brewed in Portland, Oregon. You got to get all that in there. Uh, yeah, Level Beer rarely, rarely fails to live up to my expectations. They are always as good as you hoped they would be and usually a little bit better. So, Jeremy's got a, got a Mountain Dew tonight. All right. Boy, and speaking of living up to expectations, wow. Uh, boy, that has like a melon rind sour bit at the end of it. That's actually kind of good. Kind of like, uh, like a cucumber vegetable kind of little, little bit of a back end to it that you don't normally get in like a Northwest IPA. Uh, although it's using Citra and Galaxy Hops, which are both Northwest Hops. So, interesting. Interesting. Almost tastes like it's been brewed with like a champagne yeast or something like that, where it's just a little bit drier, a little bit more crisp. This one's good. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't opened that one yet, so. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. I, I like the dry hop thing. Um, I don't, you know, aren't most beers like technically dry hopped? I don't quite know how that works, but maybe they're wet. I don't know. No, there's, um, John would be able to answer that specific question a lot better than I would. Um, there's, there's a dozen different ways to hop your beer. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, dry hopping is a very specific way. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I knew the... Hops added later. Gotcha. Uh, See, that's kind of what I thought. Like wet hopping was like throwing them in like right away. Yeah, dry, dry hopping. Hop, dry was... hopping is a back end or secondary hop. So gotcha. Yeah. So and double actually, dry hopped would be you do your initial brew, you let it let it go for a while. Then dry hopping would be you know post fermentation hopping. Right. So double and dry I, hopped and... would be two rounds of dry hop. There we go. Oh, there you go. Okay. So, and I don't know if it's a quality of dry hopping the beers or whatever, but the beer itself is pretty dry um, in like a good way. Kind of gives it like a nice, crisp, refreshing edge to it. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely kind of feels like a summer IPA. Um, It's like light and kind of floral and uh, got that sort of... And I, had to, I hesitate to say vegetal, but it's good. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into the news. Uh, where did my AMD story go? What the heck? I had one up here. Well, everybody knows did this Did I close story. it? Did I close it? I think I closed it. I was reading some things, and I think I closed it. Dang it. Well, I'll get here it. here you go. I'll highlight okay. it for you. All right. Thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. You're, you're so helpful. <laughs> World's best assistant. What can I say, guys? Nailed it. 
do I get a medal or what? <laughs> so like a trophy that comes with this? We'll talk compensation at a later date. <laughs> uh, so if you haven't seen the news, uh, where have you been? AMD announced officially Ryzen 7000 series CPUs coming on September 27th. Uh, and if AMD is to be believed, and so far with the last couple large chip announcements, they really haven't led us astray. Uh, Zen 4 is gonna be a banger. Uh, so this is the first five nanometer fab out of AMD. Uh, and we were expecting, especially after June, after Computex and AMD took the stage, they were kind of hedging us just a little bit. They, they were like, you know, the last couple of generations, Zen 2 and then Zen 3, saw monumental increases in IPC and instructions per clock, single-threaded performance. Uh, and, uh, you know, we hit 18% with Zen 3. We hit like 14% with Zen 2. And those kinds of leaps just haven't happened since like the turn of the century. Uh, as, as far as, you know, generation over generation improvements go. Uh, and so AMD in June was kind of hedging us a little bit, just going like, you know, maybe we'll see single digit. Maybe it'll be, you know, performance per watt increase, but not, not like this, you know, revolutionary leap forward. Well, uh, that turned out to be... Not needed, as uh, IPC improvements, again, are upwards of between 13% on the low end of things uh, to as much as 29% performance increase in gaming. Uh, so not only is it going to be a banger, it's also coming out for less money than the current generation. Isn't competition a wonderful thing with Raptor Lake right around the corner? Uh, for starters, the Ryzen 5 7600X will start at $299 for six cores, 12 threads, base clock of 4.7 gigahertz, <laughs> a boost of 5.3, 38 megs of combined L2 and L3 cache, and a 105 watt TDP. We climb up to an 8-core, a 12-core, and then finally the Big Daddy, the 16-core 7950X, actually coming in for $100 less than the 5950X, the, the uh, Zen 3 16-core. This also has a base clock of 4.5 gigahertz and a boost clock of 5.7, uh, 80 megabytes of combined L2 and L3 cache, and a 170-watt TDP. So, uh, a couple of things strike me right off the bat. Uh, Jared says die shrink, usually better all around. That only works out if you can get the same scale or, you know, get the same size die and get it all to work. Uh, because a die shrink will usually mean lower power requirements for the same performance because you have less electrical loss uh, across distance because you're not traveling as far, you're not sending signals as far, uh, you have tighter signaling because again, you don't have to travel as far, you can increase your, your bus frequencies and all that kind of thing. But it's not necessarily guaranteed to get 
higher performance as far as like gross scale or or anything like that uh so a couple of things that are interesting here number one is the tdps because remember ryzen 2 and ryzen 3 have had standard tdps of about 65 watts uh and for chips like the six the 5600x and and whatnot uh so they've been fairly efficient, fairly, uh, you know, fairly low power chips as far as the competition goes. We're now seeing 105 watts uh, at the base level for the Ryzen 5 and the Ryzen 7 CPUs. And then an increase from 105 watts to 170 watts on the top end, which tells me <laughs> they need a lot more power to push that boost clock all the way up to that 5.6 or 5.7 gigahertz mark. Uh, but the good news is AMD's chips are taking that amount of power now because before there was kind of like this hard limit of you can only feed Ryzen chips so much power and then it's just like, we're not going to do anymore. Whereas Intel, you know, it wasn't unheard of to get 5.4 gigahertz all core, you know, overclocks. Now you were pumping 190 watts into, a, you know, 10900K or something like that, but it was achievable. What I'm seeing is a similar level of power to performance and scalable power in this newer generation of chips. Uh, is that because of the drop to five nanometer? I don't know. I wasn't at the briefing. Would have loved to be. Uh, would love to have been, rather. But uh, yeah. One thing's for sure is uh, AMD hasn't lied to us the last couple releases, and I don't see any reason they would start now, especially with increased scrutiny because Intel's going to come out swinging with their Raptor Lake. So you know every single reviewer is going to hold AMD's feet to the fire on this claim. Uh, other uh, notable improvements are the inclusion of PCI Express 5.0 and DDR5 support. Uh, but only with the extreme version offering both graphics and storage support for PCI Express 5. So you have to get the highest end uh, X670 extreme board to get graphics and storage at PCI Express 5.0 speeds. Not that I think that's going to be a problem for a while. Uh, there's been a couple of companies who have said they're teasing and, and obviously PCI Express 5.0 drives are uh, are definitely in prototype stages in labs across the, the world, but there haven't been any rumblings of like consumer release PCI Express 5.0 drives or even enterprise 5.0 drives. So we usually see that tech drop in enterprise first and then trickle its way down to consumers. So I'd expect at least six months before we start seeing at least in mass and at some affordable level PCI Express 5.0 drives. When are we gonna get this stuff around the uh, Craft Studios? Uh, I'm hoping at launch or as close to launch as humanly possible. Um, I mean, I am definitely interested. Uh, I mean, obviously there's there's interest at the top and there's interest at the 7950X, but at $400, the 7700X, looks to be one heck of a of a bargain. Eight core, 16 thread, but 5.4 gigahertz all core or, or max boost clock. I'm not sure what the all core boost is. Uh, and 105 watts of TDP. So 
What could be even more interesting, though, is if AMD keeps Zen 3 around and drops pricing. Because we've been seeing that 5600 drop as low as like $240, $250. Man, if we could get a Zen 3 six-core chip under the $200 mark, boy, that would be... <laughs> That would be pretty game-changing as far as entry-level gaming PCs go. Because AMD, for as well-regarded in the budget segment as they always have been, with Zen 3, they kind of ignored that segment entirely. I mean, their CPU started at 279 and never really came down from there. We eventually got a 5600 for basically the same price. Uh, and just recently in the last two to three months has it come down, but AMD didn't release a, a $200 CPU. Where's their $100, you know, 2200G or 2400G or 3400G? Those haven't been around. So I'm really curious to see if AMD is willing to spend some of their, some of their fabs, some of their chiplets on some lower expensive parts, some lower tier parts. But the other thing that I that I remember from generations past is AMD has had such good yields out of their uh, seven nanometer process that putting it onto a less expensive part has been a waste of silicon because the chips just perform so well that why not start them at $300 because you're going to make more money that way. So... But interested to see if the budget segment does eventually show up for AMD. Time will tell. Mm -hmm. This is Mike like D. this is like halfway between a hazy and a cream ale, and I'm not That's sure good. I'm not sure which one which way it's going to lean like long term. But so far, it's really good. I'm doing that thing that I do again, where I almost finish my beer in 30 minutes. <laughs> well, I talked for quite a while in that. Episode, yeah, yeah, so. that's all right. That's all right. It's what we're here for. Mike D <laughs> says, cheers, Jeff. Sorry, I'm joining late. Glad you're enjoying the brewski beer and the double catnip last week. Oof. Thank you. Yeah, that double catnip was unearthly good. Like, I'm not saying this one's bad, but this one isn't quite measuring up to that double catnip. That was phenomenal so thank you thank you again uh let's see yeah in the past amd had to cripple better chips to fill lower bins and and yeah they've been in that position before uh i know they were in that position with zen 2 when zen 2 first came out uh and uh but the thing is they they were just starting to match intel at the top and so and Intel wasn't playing the the bargain game at all. I mean, Intel was was in AMD's position, you know, three years ago, where, you know, yeah, you could get a a ten six hundred K for, you know, two hundred and seventy dollars, and you'd have to beg on the streets to find an i three ten one hundred. I mean, Intel made them available, but they were pretty much unobtainium. Like I had to special order mine, and it took me almost two and a half months to get in a 10-100 at one point, or a 10-100-F. <laughs> uh, so, 
Yeah, AMD was playing the game of like, we'll take a little bit of a loss on the uh, physical side of things in order to get more sales at the bottom end because we don't feel that the top end of users are going to spend all of their money on us right at this second. However, in the last generation in Zen 3, uh, they said, screw it, we're better than Intel and we know it, we'll just make good chips. <laughs> we don't need to attack the bottom segment right now. Uh, and it could also come down to just availability of, of silicon and fab time. Uh, I mean, we know there's been a shortage for a number of different uh, things that go into, I mean, not just speaking of CPU manufacturing, but just about everything. Everything that's required to make everything has been in short supply at some point in time in the last few years. Uh, and so if you have to start, you know, finding out where your highest returns will be, AMD said, the top of the markets where our, our returns are going to be. It's been working. And it worked. <laughs> Posting <laughs> record quarters. So. Ooh, tech guy just uh, shared a picture on the Discord that I'm rather jealous of. He's got a Dragon's Milk Reserve Blue Label. Very nice. I have not had that one. And a pretty good founders, too. Yeah. The green zebra. Oh, yeah. I was so distracted by the dragon's milk, I didn't even <laughs> see that. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Uh, last pass. Uh, this is the way you handle breaches. Companies around the world, IT or otherwise, take note. This is how you handle disclosures. Bravo to LastPass, bravo to their internal policies, internal security policies, hashing, non-record keeping, everything else that they've done. Bravo on the disclosure, on not only the expediency of the disclosure, but the details that were contained within, uh, the advisories that they posted, and remediation steps if there's any needed by the user. This is, by the book, how to do breach disclosures. So, for those who don't know, LastPass disclosed, uh, gosh, was this, was this all the way last week? It was. August 25th, uh, baby. Yeah, last Thursday. Disclosed on Thursday that they had uh, uh, been breached on August 21st. Um, and it only took them three and a half days to figure out what the breach was go through all of their checks and balances. What was stolen? Was it of consequence? Uh, are users at risk? Are financials at risk? Uh, and what are the long-term and short-term ramifications of this hack? It took them only three and a half days to go through all of those steps top to bottom. And this is with LastPass's source code being stolen. Uh, last thing you ever wanna hear. Uh, but, uh, basically what happened was LastPass was, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to read straight from Bleeping Computer, was compromised through a third-party developer account, uh, and the hackers used that to access the company's developer environment. Uh, LastPass says there was no evidence that customer data or encrypted password vaults were compromised. The threat actors did steal portions of their source code and proprietary LastPass technical information. 
Um, in response to the incident, we have deployed containment and mitigation measures and engaged uh, a leading cybersecurity and forensics firm, explains the LastPass advisory. Uh, again, quote, while the investigation is ongoing, we have re uh, achieved a state of containment, implemented additional enhanced security measures, and see no further evidence of unauthorized activity, end quote. Uh, they did send out an email to all of their customers and let them know that uh, they had seen some unusual activity on their developer network, had found a breach, had already patched it, and, uh, and that because of the way LastPass stores information, because of their internal policies, their internal securities, everything else, uh, no customer information was leaked, no hash passwords were leaked, no emails were leaked, uh, no, no password accounts were leaked, everything was fine. If you want, you can reset your password, but it's really not necessary. So, uh, yeah, even though this didn't really have customer reaching effects, this was an internal thing, this is and should be the blueprint for how you handle and disclose breaches as a service provider, as a company, as, as an IT figurehead that has customer data and has very sensitive customer data in the form of password logs. Um, so all I can say is bravo to LastPass. And I kind of said the same thing with, with uh, NordVPN when they were hacked. Like I, I would have liked to see faster mitigation response or faster disclosure from NordVPN when NordVPN suffered a third party data center breach. Uh, but the attack vector was so narrow for customers that it was kind of difficult for them to like fully say what was happening. So, but I always love that anytime I talk about NordVPN, people go, oh yeah, but they were hacked three years ago. Yeah, everyone gets hacked. You know it because they disclosed it. And also they're the only one that's gone through a third party uh, unbiased source code uh, audit top to bottom on plugins, backend, data center, security, everything. Uh, they're the only one that's been found to actually not keep logs. <laughs> and yet you're complaining that three, three individual servers were hacked somewhere in the Netherlands unless you also had a compromised client that you downloaded from a third party website and then connected to those pirate servers that your information might've been stolen. Like, cool, someone didn't read the report. Not only that, they're upset that it costs them, you know, a modest monthly sum. <laughs> they're like, I don't know, man. Barely cost me anything, but yeah. I'm irritated by this. Guess I'm going back to the free VPN now. Yeah. <laughs> I will say the other one is Surfshark that has undergone a full top to bottom source code audit. So if anyone needs a VPN, uh, those are the two that I recommend. Uh, is NordVPN and Surfshark. Regardless of what anyone else is telling you, no one else has gone through full third-party source code audits of both the client and server-side software. So that's one of the things that comes up often, you know, in the in the studio around the office. Like VPNs hit us up, and they're like, "Hey, we want to run ads." They're like, well, well just okay. just send me your audit report. Yeah, my what now? Asking we start asking questions and they're like, well, 
actually like here's what you need to know i'm like okay well can you back that up and they're like well actually <laughs> I'm like okay well they're like well double your feet no <laughs> they've never said that i wish <laughs> then we would run their ads without right. question be like i got ethics but i also got bills to pay I don't even care if this is just like some big old honeypot for everybody. Like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you mean I could upgrade the DiGiorno's pizza? Like, all right. <laughs> yeah, better than Totino's, which is what I'm on now. So <laughs> it's still not delivery. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, good on you, last pass. Yeah. Uh, you know what else is awesome? Today's sponsor. They're the best. They're the best. Today's doubt. video, of course, is brought to you by Linode. If you've ever wanted to host your own servers, but never had the time to invest into power, sorry, never had the resources to invest into time, power, hardware, cooling, or space, why not let Linode host them for you? If it runs on Linux, it'll run on Linode. That includes software for most of the tutorials you've found on my channel, like how to run your own ad blocking recursive DNS servers, VPN gateways, your own cloud-based Plex server, and more. With shared CPU plans starting at as little as $5 per month and scaling up to as high as you need to go, you'll be able to find a hosting plan that fits your needs. Even if you do host your own servers, you can also use Linode to keep a backup off-site. Because remember, RAID is not a backup. Linode also announced they were the first alternative cloud provider to have NVMe block storage available to all customers. Last year, they began rolling out NVMe drives to all 11 of their global data centers. Best of all, storage rates remained at the same low price they always had been. Visit linode.com craftcomputing and get a $100 60-day credit just for signing up for a new account. That's linode.com craftcomputing and again, a huge thanks to Linode for sponsoring today's video. Thanks, Linode. Thank you. Use that link so that we can keep our jobs. <laughs> We're going to lose the shop. <laughs> or sorry, this isn't a car channel. If we don't finish this build, we're going to lose the shop. Never gets old. <laughs> we should start saying that on videos. Yeah. We don't finish this build. We're going to lose the shop. <laughs> we're going to lose the studio, Rhett. Uh, let's uh, be real. I'd fire you first. <laughs> if we don't finish this build, I'm going to lose you, Rhett. <laughs> Suddenly the build comes through very well after I'm gone. Yeah. Peace and quiet around the studio. So much more efficient without that constant. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. You know how many times that guy uses the bathroom every day? <laughs> and I can uh, barely afford him after I pay my sewage bill. You're, you're stupid if you're not pooping on company time. I keep saying that. You're, you're just losing money at that point. Honestly, people around the studio don't want to hear it, though. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Is it because is it because you're the boss, Jeff? Because isn't that how the ditty goes? You know, boss, yep. makes, a boss dollar, makes a dollar. I make a dime. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> oh, boy. I've almost somehow finished this entire beer. 
Yeah, I've I've still got at least okay. a third left. You're doing pretty good, actually. Yeah. Yeah, we are only 40 minutes in. Uh, so, uh, speaking of hacks and hackers and malware and phishing and all that kind of stuff, uh, the Twilio hack just keeps getting worse and worse news. Uh, so, uh... We reported on this, gosh, two months ago, I want to say. Um, and uh, Twilio, which is a, uh, a security provider, they they do a lot of uh, data encryption services and uh, and similar things like that. Uh, Says so they they own Authy, LastPass, and mm-hmm. DoorDash. Right. Right. So there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, they don't own, they use their services. Uh, they, they use Twilio for services. Oh, Twilio. Oh no. Sorry. Twilio owned Authy. Sorry. 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 You're, you're I, correct. I, I skipped ahead of the story and just read that one line. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's right there. Twilio owned companies, Authy, LastPass, and DoorDash, uh, disclose data breaches that appear related to the same activity uh, and uh, it was previously disclosed that 163 of their uh, of their customers had suffered data breaches within the last couple months uh, and I think it says here I'm... it says here that uh, two companies in particular Okta and signal okay um, thank you. which are well I don't know what Okta does but signals like a encrypted messaging service, uh, that their data was accessed as a result of this breach. Um, yeah, and it says, looks like, uh, good Lord. Well, they said 163 of its customers were accessed. And then another group said that at least 136 companies were fished by the same threat actor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the concerning thing is that uh, they were able to bypass 2FA authentications from almost every single customer that they uh, infiltrated, which is one of the things that Twilio was providing them was 2FA authentication. So yeah. definitely not not a good look. Uh, uh, and Otka is a security auth platform as well, uh, gotcha. Magic says. So. Gotcha. You know, and last week when I was looking for stories for Talking Heads, one of the stories that I came across was uh, a bit about how users of Venmo, which is like a digital wallet sort of, you know, money Mm -hmm. exchange platform. Yeah, yeah. um, uh, Had been having their wallets emptied. And when you think about the way that you use Venmo and all these things, and it was definitely a concern of mine um, originally when I said it, it's like you just set it up. Like, I, I don't even, like, originally, I don't even think it asks you to instill a password or do any of that sort of stuff. Um, and I don't know if any of the companies impacted would be a company like Venmo, but it makes you think. Um, cause that was a kind of a big story and I, I don't remember why I didn't include it in the show notes for you guys to go over it. Maybe I did. I don't know, but 
um, seems kind of anecdotal, but but a lot more stories of that same ilk have been coming out. And with all yeah. these big data breaches like this, it's kind of no wonder that people are having their wallets emptied, you know? So might be worth an eye, uh, you know, worth it to, to keep an eye on that sort of thing and double check your two-factor authentication and all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely something in, in the modern age. Uh, like Venmo was trying to set itself up as a send money from your bank account to anyone else's bank account and we'll take like a, a 20 cent fee or something like that. Uh, and it was getting rather popular for a while. Them and Cash App uh, was another one that's doing that. And there's there's also a, a, a dozen other companies that have tried this, like direct bank transfer, uh, basically a wire mediator, uh, you know, similar to like Western Union or something like that, where they would handle wire transfers, but make it simple for users to just send other people money because sometimes you just need to send someone money. Uh, yeah. The problem is the large percent of the populace use services like that one time because it's like, oh, do you have Venmo? No, I don't. Okay, well, set up Venmo and then you can send me like the $500 or whatever yeah. else to, to your sister, or, you know, great aunt or whatever. And so you set up Venmo and then you link it to your bank account and you send money. Well, that's a thing that has access to your bank account. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So, worth keeping yeah, an eye on. Yeah, Zelle's another one. I've used Zelle before. I've used Venmo before. Um, I don't think I've done Cash App, but I know some some people in my family have. Uh, Is Cash App like an Apple thing? Like, no, it's know. it's it's another one of those same style companies where they're they're handling wire transfers direct. Um, I mean, to give you an idea where I'm at with technology, I went to the coffee shop the other day and I like. I just like fucking, oh, sorry. <laughs> there goes all of our monetization, dang it. <laughs> oh my God, that hasn't happened in years. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, everybody. You got little kids in the room. Uh, I just tapped my phone uh, on the at the coffee pay station and like paid with my phone. It was so weird. That's yeah. where I'm at with technology. And honestly, Jeff gave me this really nice widescreen monitor. So that's a cool. Have you guys ever tried those? Um... It's a fad. It's a <laughs> I'm fad. thinking it's gonna go away. So I've hung on to my other my other monitors, um, just in case. You know, I think everybody's gonna give it up sooner or later. <laughs> oh, that was funny. <laughs> My bad, man. <laughs> Did I tell you guys that the beer is eight point five percent and it's it's gone? So yeah, I'm gonna put that glass over there and just be a good boy for the rest. I'll, of the I'll tell you where I'm at with tech. Um, I I've never once linked uh, a card to any kind of pay app on my phone, as far as like a tap to pay. I don't use Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Google Pay. I've never even set it up on any device that I own. Right. Um, I do have a credit card that does have tap to pay. And I used it for the first time like three weeks ago. Yeah. Well, dude, now every because you used to not you used to go places and they weren't set up for it. Right. So I've had a, I've had a card that's been set up for that for a while, but nowhere 
now everywhere is set up for it. It, I, it, mm-hmm. it seems like right around like last year, 2021, summertime, I started going to everywhere and they're like, well, if slide's not working, which my card like never does for whatever reason, just try tapping. Boom, works everywhere. But right. now you got to think about the guy standing behind you with like the RFID like capture device. So, right. uh, you know, that's why you got to have a Ridge wallet, you know, with that RFID blocking technology exactly by the way not sponsored they sponsored me to run like four ads a couple years ago i still use the wallet this is still my my carry wallet that's yeah what i carry what what happened ridge wallet come on come back i I gotta i gotta email sebastian giving you a free air time right now (laughs) no but uh anyway everybody's giving me a hard time about the language and shit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, ultra wide is so nice no 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 i'm i'm we're talking like 16 by 9 like yeah that's yeah. too wide yeah Rhett, <laughs> Rhett, Rhett thinks 16 by 9 is a fad it's gonna go away it's gonna go away sooner or later no i gave you an actual i gave you an actual ultra wide didn't i it's 16 by nine. It's not ultra okay. wide. Yeah. Okay. Oh no, that's right. I have a, we have another one for review. That's right. I'll take it. That's right. <laughs> I remember. I mean, it's a great monitor, but is it ultra wide? No, Jeff, you're holding out on me. Yep. You've given all your other employees the best stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. That's, that's why they're on my desk. <laughs> Uh, we do have a couple super chats rolling in. Andrew sends in $10. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, day one, two platform faults, one and a half hour OT. Day two, trouble with boss, one and a half hour OT. Data entry. Today, 30 minutes after quitting time, dim configuration has rogue dim from previous tech. Send psychiatrist or drink, maybe both. <laughs> I, I do know relatively where you work and what you do, so I, I understood most of that. And uh, yeah. Uh, Kren says, uh, sends over two Aussie bucks and says, good day. Good day, mate. Good day. Uh, and Harley sends over $5. Sorry, I'm late. Did I miss anything? Uh, thank you all very much for the super chats. I very much appreciate them. Uh, I'll, I'll give this announcement again. If in lieu of super chats tonight, I would really like you guys to check out the first line down in the video description. I talked about it at the beginning of the show. I'm not going to get back into it, but, uh, go, go, uh, send El Jefe some love. So, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. If you guys, I don't know. If, if you guys like hit up the GoFundMe, like maybe grab a little cap. Like you could put it in the uh, Discord, uh, Talking Heads chat, and like we could maybe try to treat that like a super chat. It's not a perfect solution here, but yeah, yeah. Save your money. Go to the GoFundMe. Make sure you're doing that. That's what we want you guys to do tonight. Yeah. <sighs> yep. Go. Uh, go. Go support a friend. We do appreciate, you know, the super chat. We're not saying that you guys are bad people. Okay. We're thinking it very loudly. Um, I'm, I guess I am saying it now on the air. Right. Rhett's Rhett's calling you guys out. (laughs) No, no, no. No, we do appreciate it, but go and visit the GoFundMe. If you are considering doing a super chat, Uh, We'll make sure we do another uh, couple reminders throughout the show and uh, keep an eye on Skull. He's uh, shouting it out for us too. Yep. Yeah. He just posted links in chat. 
Uh, but yeah, so thank you all so much. I, I, I do appreciate the super chats, but tonight give them to someone else, please. Um, all right, uh, I'm ready for my next beer. How about you? Um, well, in light of current events, I only have one beer, so. I mean, I could go get another, but I've got I've got issues. I better keep it to one beer. You just don't have room on your desk for another can, do you? <laughs> Shut up! I tell you these things in confidence, man. You got a whole fort behind you. <laughs> oh shoot! Turns out it wasn't ultra wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I even forgot to bring my water bottle down. What a chump! That's all right. Anybody who uh, wasn't aware, uh, you know, I, it, it was talked about it a couple couple weeks ago in the uh, super secret Discord, which you can have access to for less than a dollar a month. Um, less than a dollar a month? I guess just a dollar a month at least. Anyway, I, I got some tummy issues going on, so I got to be a little careful. I didn't want to come to the show beerless. That just would have been a big problem. So... But here I am now, beerless. <laughs> you know what it's like to work at Craft Computing? You know, without... open beer fridge all day long. <laughs> like, I, I should be canonized when this is done. <laughs> uh, well, I do have a second beer. Uh, and this is not only a classic, but probably the godfather of. Hazy IPAs. Uh, this is from Focal and Banger. It is The Alchemist. You know it. You love it. It's it's the one that started it all. Uh, 7%. Beers brewed using Citra and Mosaic hops. And all that good stuff. Sounds sounds delicious. And the yeah. can was slightly dented, so it doesn't want to open. There it goes. There we go. <laughs> Novella sharing all the secrets. Rhett gets lunch for free. <laughs> Basically, yes. We we feed it's, him too. That's not wrong. Yeah, I do get free lunch a lot of the time. <laughs> I, I, I do make him pay when we go out to fast food. Like if it's like, Alright, we're not doing anything here. Rhett, you're buying me Carl's Jr. <laughs> Yeah, that, and that's go. the good stuff. That's the good <laughs> stuff too. That's why I, I always try to steer them towards like the BK. You know, get the eight, the eight nuggies for a buck. Eight nuggies and a rodeo burger. <laughs> oh, you treat me so good. Only the best for my boo. You know, <laughs> only the best. I asked them to give you three barbecue packets. Okay. Whoa, whoa, and you know the best, the best. Burger King and yet do. he still hasn't put a ring on it. <laughs> well, someday, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves, man. <laughs> uh, Gearling checking in. Hello, red shirt. How's it going? Uh, actually, in the market for a 3080 Ti. Happy to see GPU prices going down, down, down. Yes, I would have preferred they go down in an earlier round, but uh, you know, better late than never. What are you gonna do? Uh, if no one got the Fallout Boy reference, I'm going to be really irritated there. Everybody got the Fallout Boy reference, bro. Just making sure. 
It's just a banger album from start to finish. It totally is. One more beer and Rhett loses his shirt. Novella Hub, that is only for the super secret after show. Okay. Yeah, you, yeah, you got to make it the full two hours to get shirtless Rhett. <laughs> yeah. That is only for patrons, my friend. Rhett does tomato soup with ketchup packets and hot water from the coffee machine. <laughs> I have done that. Yeah, in my darker days. There was times in my early adulthood where uh, dinner was like a bag of saltines and a glass of water. Uh, I did learn how to make ketchup packet tomato soup as a, a young person, as a child. Uh-huh. Uh, money was tight, so you kept all the sauce packets. And they kept getting smaller and smaller throughout the ages, despite the fact they just load your bag with them. It's like you could have 50 sauce packets, and it was only the same as like, you know, 20 sauce packets from 1995. Uh, but you know, what are you going to do? And Rhett can actually compare him because he still has packets in his fridge from 1995. Oh. Yeah. 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 I did not throw them out. Yeah. That's the secret to my life. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a big point of contention around the studio that Jeff tries to throw out twist ties. Um, and I, I, <laughs> I've collected them into <laughs> a big twist tie amalgamation monster. None of them ever get used, but honestly, if they needed to, they're available. Okay. I think over under, we probably get delivered <laughs> at least one cable per day because I'll, I'll, I'll be around the office and it's like, oh, I don't have this one cable for something. And so I'll just order it on Amazon. <laughs> the next day we'll get the Amazon packet in. And invariably that cable has like three twist ties on it. Yeah. Or sometimes I go a week, but then I'll order a 10 pack. Like it, it all evens <laughs> out. Uh, but every time I, I do that, Rhett's like, oh, let me set that aside in case we need it for something. It's like, I have like the industrial size baggie of zip ties. <laughs> like, and those are far and away superior to, you know, your your twist tie that comes on, you know, your, your USB-C six hey, foot cable. Zip ties are superior, but you know where twist ties have them defeated? They're toolless, my friend. Okay, you could put zip ties on, but how do you get them off? I, all right, I, twist ties aren't a one size fits all solution. Okay, it's Here's a highly the deal. specialized if I, tool. If I'm grabbing a zip tie, it's a permanent installation anyway. Is it though? I feel like we've cut a lot of zip ties because I've hung on to those too. <laughs> uh, I usually use zip ties for cable management. And so I'll, but I string the cables themselves. So I'll, I'll zip tie the cables into bundles and wrap them to where they go. And then usually it's like one or two zip ties to hold them in place in the back of the case. And so if I need a set of snips to get a zip tie off, it's like two clips and I'm done, but the power supply is still fully managed. It, it's ready to go into the next system and just slide into place. Yeah, so. I need to tell you this, but a twist tie is never going to cable manage your builds, Jeff. Okay, then They're why keep things. them? Then why keep things? Them. <laughs> I have, I also have rolls of Velcro around the studio. That's what I use for individual things, for one-off things, for like I need to keep this HDMI thirty-foot cable wound. That's what those are for. Well, I know you keep those things around the studio, but you also keep a huge bundle of twist ties. Okay. Well, I do now. That's you too. (laughs) Y'all heard it here. Jeff is a huge proponent of twist ties. They are the inferior binding mechanism. Well, I'm not saying that they're the superior binding mechanism. 
Like, even duct tape goes ahead of twist ties, for God's sake. So in the hierarchy of, of like, <laughs> strapping down devices, of, of armature, how's that? <laughs> I just can't fathom keeping them. Like, I, I just don't need them. It's weird that you can't fathom it, because you do, I, through me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the, the malware continues, uh, like y'all thought this was going to be an AMD Ryzen heavy episode. No, we're going like full malware. Uh, a Russian malware has been detected that hijacks, uh, active directory federation services. That's ADFS and can log in as any registered user in an active directory environment. Um, that is a terrifying CVE to write. I, I can't even imagine. Um, so this is a state-sponsored espionage. Um, it's a uh, dubbed Magic Web, and the new tool is dubbed Foggy Web. If they can get this exploit installed into a network, um, it will compromise databases that are hosted on Active Directory Federation services, part of your FISMO rules for Active Directory uh, networks for those who do that kind of thing. Um, it can then handle decrypting, to decrypting token signing and token decryption certificates and fetch additional payloads from a command control server. So not only can you exploit and access the user database and then just log in as any user at any given time, you can also basically sign your own certificates from that organization and then send packages from a command control server. It is a frightening bit of kit. <laughs> um, what's even more frightening is it replaces legitimate DLLs that are used by ADFS. Uh, to uh, to manipulate uh, user certificates. So, yeah, CVE alert, duck and cover. Uh, I don't think this one quite gets a nine rating. Like, there's usually like a uh, a nine, uh, you know, one to ten rating for uh, for CVEs. I I think this one is more in the sevens because there is a little bit that has to go into the actual exploitation of it. But once installed, it is pretty much full command control of any network that you have. So make sure to check your uh, ADDS, ADFS, FISMO, etc. Make sure your antivirus uh, definitions are all up to date. And Godspeed. <laughs> uh, this one was super cool. Uh, I didn't even know this project was in the making, but here it is, ready for your download and compilation. Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Uh, a classic, not only on the Super Nintendo, but... Uh, basically defined a lot of gameplay mechanics for uh, top-down games and many, many future Zelda games and role-playing games in general to come. 
uh, sorry, not role-playing, action or adventure games to come, uh, now has a fully decompiled and reassembled PC port uh, thanks to a fan project. Now, this is super cool. This is very much in the ilk of the Super Mario 64 decompilation as well as the uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time decompilation. But this one has some additional features that were kind of the target of the port to begin with. Uh, one of the most popular segments of Awesome Games Done Quick in the last couple of years, AGDQ, has been randomizer challenges. Uh, specifically starting with games like A Link to the Past. For those who don't know what a randomizer is, a randomizer is you play a classic game, whether it's uh, Link to the Past has one, uh, Wind Waker has one, and there, there's a bunch of other randomizers, but the Zelda series has really kind of taken off with the randomizers. That is, they take all the items in the game, all the item drops that you could get, uh, and in Zelda, it's all the different chests that you have to open, and they shuffle them all around. And so you have to explore the entire map and find all of the chest drops to get the items to actually, you know, proceed in the game. And the chests are 100% random. And uh, there's a couple different modes that you can do, specifically speaking of Link to the Past, where not only can you randomize item placement, you can also randomize... Uh, heart pieces and uh and things like that but also dungeon keys so imagine having to get like the seven dungeon keys plus the the boss or the big key for one of the dungeons inside link to the past but you have to find those those seven plus one keys in every chest in the overworld dark world and every other dungeon that exists in the game you also have to find the items that you can use to access those certain dungeons randomized throughout every single chest in the game. It's a really exciting way to play the game. And in fact, I've done a couple of them. I, I have not done AGDQ. I've just downloaded the randomizer and, and played through a couple of them just for fun. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, you have to know the game inside and out. You have to know every single drop, every single chest. And I'm, I'm probably 95% there on my, my knowledge of Link to the Past, but... Uh, definitely not enough to play it competitively or, or on stream or anything like that. But it is insanely fun and, and an insanely cool new way to play an old game. Well, AGDQ has been doing these randomizer challenges where they'll take two or four players and they'll put them all on screen at the same time. And they have to go through and find all of these item drops. And the end goal is to beat Ganon. But to beat Ganon, you have to uh, uh, beat the three overworld dungeons and then the seven dark world dungeons and then finally go into the dark palace and defeat Ganon. But you have to circumnavigate the globe like six times to do it. Like, it, it, it's a really fun way to, to go. That was basically the end goal of this project because the randomizer has been a ROM injection in the past where you would take a link to the past ROM, you would inject code into it to change certain elements within the game, and then you would get one randomized ROM that you could play on an emulator. The problem is every time you wanted to randomize a dungeon, you had to re-inject that code with a new randomizer layout. Uh, so essentially you could have a seed 
that would just be the same every single time. With the PC port, the randomizer is now baked in. And so you can just go file random and start a new game and you have a brand new randomizer dungeon to play. So really, really cool. Probably going to be implemented at some point in the time. Uh, Ocarina of Jam, or sorry, Ocarina of Time randomizer is my jam for a late night random stream. Yeah, uh, says Skull. I love watching randomizer playthroughs. Um, one of, some of my favorites are uh, Wind Waker. Uh, you get uh, competitions between like Linkus 7 and a couple other, other runners. Uh, those are always fantastic. Uh, so uh, can you share a randomizer key and play the same game? Uh, I'm not sure about this. Uh, in the past, the way you would do it, like I said, is upload a ROM up to the randomizer website and then choose your your specifications and then download a essentially a seed uh, that you could play inside inside an emulator. This would be really cool if they gave you a seed key that you could share. And so if you wanted to play competitively on yeah. the same randomized map, that'd be kind of fun. It'd be interesting. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, key sanity is is the name of the the one that not only randomizes the items in the game, but also randomizes the keys in the dungeons. <laughs> so is it possible with a random seed to like get a game that's unbeatable? Does uh, that they make actually sense? they do have checks in place gotcha. where uh you cannot have like uh, the lifting gloves behind a checkpoint that require you to lift to access. Right. Um, uh, they also do have different modes within the randomizer that can say glitched or glitchless, which means there may be some items in the glitched mode where you have to perform exploits where um, there's a glitch in the game uh, called uh, uh, flipperless where you can jump across or jump into the water and transition a scene on the same frame. And when you hit the water, it'll transition your, your scene over. Well, the game goes, if you transition to scene and you're in the water, you obviously are able to swim. So we'll just let you swim. And so you're <laughs> able to swim around. And as long as you don't go back up on land, you can swim for as long as you want. Um, so that is one very popular glitch for accessing some areas of the world early. Uh, and for example, where the, the center island in Lake Hylia in Link to the Past, let's say the chest that's on the center of the island contained the flippers. Right. That wouldn't be possible to achieve unless you performed that glitch. Right. Uh, and there are checks in different... Uh, so they do have checks like that, where if you want to have to run exploits, you can. There's also ones that will make sure that items that require unlocks later in the game are not behind to set unlocks. That makes so, sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Seems like it wouldn't be too much of a challenge to implement that. So Yeah. And Chris says the team behind the Ocarina of Time PC port is working on a Breath of the Wild PC port. I have seen that. I know it's in the early stages. Uh, that is going to be quite the endeavor because, again, as game get, as game, excuse me, as games get uh, more and more complex, and obviously the the Wii U slash Switch version of uh, Breath of the Wild is a infinitely more complex game than 
uh, Ocarina of Time is, uh, then, yeah, it's going to take them a while. But I, I foresee Breath of the Wild as a randomizer or as a PC port eventually. Uh, I can't even say within the next couple of years because it, it is quite the undertaking. The Ocarina of Time one took five years, I want to say. Um, so it's it's going to take a, a, a tad of time to, to get Breath of the Wild fully decompiled. But I'm definitely looking forward to the day in which it is. Saw a really interesting tweet today that showed how uh, they created the skybox in Ocarina of Time. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, when you're playing Ocarina of Time, you're riding around, you're looking around. It's like, hey, there's the sky and some clouds and it looks real. Actually, it's literally just a rotating cube that sits on the camera. It's a tiny little cube. Like the model of it is like barely bigger than like the character model. It sits over the camera. And so everything else is just like rendered in this like void space. You know, it's like rendered in black, tiny little blue cube with white clouds over the camera. And so wherever That's you're looking, hilarious. yeah, it's like a really clever solution to uh, to a interesting problem. It makes yeah. you wonder, cause I'd never, like I would have never come up with that. And you see some people coming up with like interesting ways to manipulate the environment with like parallax uh, views and things like this. Like it kind of makes sense that somebody would come up with that, but I wouldn't have come up with it. Uh, makes you think. <laughs> also regarding our uh, tie down apparatus method, uh, red shirt Jeff says gorilla glue or go home. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Now, I've been trying to glue things down at the office, and Jeff keeps telling me no. Um, I'm a big glue proponent, big time. Uh, the problem is I get it everywhere. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> in the future. Uh you know what else is a fad? OLED and those curvy displays and blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. No, I've been saying that for a while. Yeah. So Corsair has unveiled a monitor for both the curved and straight enthusiasts alike. Uh, this is a 45-inch, 240 hertz OLED with a 3440 by 1440 resolution uh, featuring an OLED panel that was manufactured by LG. But... It can be curved on demand. How far can you curve it? Like, can um, you curve it too far? No. Oh, you it, can it only curve say, it so far. Yeah, it does uh, say a maximum curvature of 800R. Correct. So the monitor that we reviewed just a couple of weeks ago, the, the BenQ Mobius, the, the, the 34R, um, it is one of the curvier panels that you can get with a 1000R curve. Uh, and it's actually the monitor that I switched to here because it brings the edges closer to me. And so I can, number one, hide it on camera a little bit easier on my desk. And number two, the screen is the same distance away no matter where I'm looking at it, which I really like. Uh, now, the downside is content creation on this is not great. The color accuracy wasn't terrific. And 
elements are curved on the screen when they should ordinarily be straight. So drawing a straight line in Photoshop, for example, is kind of mind-bending. Uh, but it, it's great for some aspects, and it's great for what I use it for here. Uh, this 45-inch monitor goes to an 800R curve. Now, the curve number means a radius of 800 millimeters. So the fact that my 1000R curve 34-inch has a 1-meter radius or a 2-meter circle, this would be a 1.6-meter circle, but 45 inches. So it's actually going to bring the edges of the monitor a lot tighter than you might imagine. Uh, and the really cool thing is you can also put it back to just straight up flat or really any angle in between as well. Uh, it's a really interesting concept for a monitor. Uh, I'm not sure that the curve would really make much sense as far as, far as content creation. But I do know that this is, being an OLED panel, an incredibly color accurate monitor. Uh, they're advertising 98% DCI-P3, uh, 240 hertz refresh rate, 0.03 millisecond response time, and a 0.01 millisecond pixel uh, on and off time at 240 hertz. Um, it is also a little bit lower resolution because it's only 3440 by 1440. Now everyone goes, well, that's just an ultra wide resolution. Yeah, the problem is it's 45 inch instead of 34 inch. And so there's 11 more inches of size and your pixels get bigger. Yeah. Uh, but with OLED, your sub pixels are closer together. And so it's probably less than an issue, but uh, holy crap, this is a cool looking monitor. <laughs> If you look at the diagram that they have, like I'm sure it's just a product of whatever way they chose to render it. But like, if you look closely at that, it looks like the the like bevel is like sort of like jointed in a way. Yeah, and it almost uh, looks so, like the screen is just on it. So this is a multi-piece straight hinge, uh, and then it has a curved LCD or a, a foldable OLED on top of it. And so, yeah, you're you're correct. Interesting. I mean, it makes sense. How else are you going to, like, curve it, right? It's got to be jointed. But I, I was just thought that was kind of an interesting uh, little detail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. We have phones that do that, you know? So it's yeah. only a matter of time until it hit the monitor space. If it hasn't I'm already, I mean... I'm actually really, th this is the first one that I've seen that's that's a variable curve monitor. Uh, and the first use of OLED folding screens that I've seen that is outside of like the smartphone or tablet realm. Like right. everyone's trying to go like that, like, you know, phone, phone by day, tablet by night. Like I've never understood that because there's so many compromises as both a phone and a tablet. But with this, you can set the curve to set your your geometry and your space and, and your working conditions and everything else. Uh, and larger OLED panels that can curve are definitely gonna make their way into larger and larger screens and right. and start to implement themselves in ways that we hadn't thought of. And 
the way you get to that level of technology is by experimenting with it and having people buy Z folds that explode the first four months and then revamping them and trying again. And so we're finally starting to see some fruits of those early experimentations by LG and Samsung and, and you know, OLED manufacturers. Uh, and this is definitely an intriguing monitor. Yeah, for sure. Now give me a monitor that can fold up, like just all the way, just fold it up. Then I'm there. The ultimate <laughs> LAN party monitor. You fold it up, put it in the back of your car. Good to go. What else do you need? Well, at least it won't break on the way to your house. <laughs> yeah, true. Like true. The first ultra wide monitor I tried to send you. Yeah, that was a that was a bummer. Was that a was disaster. a big bummer. It's like, hey, Rhett, here's a thousand dollar monitor, and he gets it home, and he goes, oh crap, Jeff's gonna hate me forever. <laughs> I did. I was seriously, I was like, man, the first thing I'm unpacking and it's broken. He's going <laughs> to think I did this. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I had just moved. And so <laughs> it had been in like two different UPS tr or uh, uh, U-Haul trucks and yeah. standing vertically in my garage. It could have happened at any point in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it got packed up from my, my old house set in the garage, moved in a U-Haul, set up in my in-law's garage until we bought our house and got through that whole process, uh, got put in another U-Haul, moved to this garage and sat here for another four months. And so it's like, at any point in time, it was probably me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a big load off my shoulders. I can sleep easy tonight now. I've been holding that in for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to remember that contract negotiation. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when you unpack that monitor, it definitely looked like you did it. So, <laughs> but Jeff, we have you on recording, admitting it could have been any time. Well, that was for the audience. Yeah, I was, that was just me hamming it up. <laughs> that was my online persona, Red. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got another title story here, and that is AMD and NVIDIA partners all around are ready to offer, quote, more brutal price cuts, end quote, on GPUs in September, as current cuts are not moving inventory as quickly as expected. Well, well, well. How the turntables. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you've noticed... Uh, basically every single graphics card is in stock right now. You're right. And they have been for quite some time. Not only have they been in stock, they're readily available and actually at or even sometimes below MSRP. Like the first MSRP, not the COVID MSRP. Uh, <laughs> and... In particular, AMD has been having a really hard time moving graphics cards. And I have a theory on this. I have a theory. Uh, so AMD has found like the 6700 XT, which was supposed to have a $650 MSRP. And then you've got the 6800 sitting there at $800. And then you've got the 6900 XT at 1000 Um 
people were used to buying 5700 series graphics cards for 399. That was the price, and that was the price that was moving those high-end cards. Uh, I think during the crypto boom, and and you saw this with with Nvidia with as of the 2000 series, kind of jump all of their cards up one price tier from what they had previously, where the 60 card was now priced where the 70 series card was. And the 70 series card is now priced where the 80 series card was. They they were pushing that market up as far as they could go. Uh, and they did it because they knew they could still sell, they could still move inventory. Now, even before the crypto boom was was really hitting, they had no problem selling graphics cards at that price point because enthusiasts were all about it. Uh, we're all about, you know, hey, you know, I'd be happy to spend five, six, seven hundred dollars on a graphics card and the odd person spending a thousand. Uh, but then crypto miners were like, yeah, give me whatever you have. And so anything that didn't sell immediately would just go to them. Well, move on to the 3000 series cards and, and the intro of the crypto boom and, you know, the, the downfall of society in general. <laughs> uh, and they push the prices up again, where a 60 series card is now selling for $400. Uh, a 70 series card is $600. Like those are your mid-tier cards. Those should be like 250 and, and 350 to $400. Like that's where that price range is at. And that's what consumers want and are willing to spend. And, you know, let alone the 80 series cards, which are $1,000, which was previously like Titan level. Oh, and then you've also got the 3090 at 1500 and the Titan at freaking, you know, 2200 or whatever it is. Um, yeah, oddly enough, the consumers who bought it for gaming and, and workstation purposes aren't really willing to spend more than about five to $700 for graphics cards. And most of us are only willing to spend three to 400. So all of a sudden when you hit MSRP prices again and your 3080s are sitting there readily available for $799, no one wants to buy them. It's because you pushed the market too far because you had such a good thing going, you forgot the people that you sold graphics cards to. That is my theory. Uh, I think it's a good theory, uh, especially Sounds because reasonable. Nvidia didn't disclose to investors yeah. that the crypto boom was happening. And like, no, there's just like an uptick in gaming. No, there's an uptick in like we can sell, a lot we can sell CUDA core stapled to a block of wood, and people will still buy them. Uh, to all of a sudden, no crypto miner wants anything to do with graphics cards right now. In fact, most of them have sold off their stock. Uh, so cards are now sitting on shelves at inflated MSRPs and gamers don't want them either. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. Well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> Boy, if 2020 had a theme. <laughs> Well, this is great. Just wait for uh, costs to come down, everybody. You can yep. do it. Yep. Um, WCCF Tech finishes their article. 
As I mentioned earlier this week, AMD, Radeon, and NVIDIA GeForce GPU prices will continue to drop across the board, and there are also some major price cuts expected by the end of the month. So don't be shocked if RTX 3090s drop below $1,000 US in the next few weeks. So, uh, Mr. Gearling, if you were looking at a 3080 Ti, boy, 24 gigs of RAM from a 3090 user, it's nice. It's nice for video editing. <laughs> it's so nice to not have to worry about the upper limits of, of my GPU anymore. Uh, so yeah, if you can uh, wait just a couple of weeks, you might, might be in luck. Might help. Right. Uh, let's see. I didn't add this one to the notes, but it's uh, good for the good of the order anyway. Uh, Mafia is going to be free on Steam for the next five days. Uh, the original trilogy. So you can get Mafia 1, 2, and 3. I believe I believe all three of them are. Um, or no, just the original Mafia. Okay. From September 1st to September 5th, you can get Mafia for free on Steam. Log into Steam, add to cart, buy for $0. That's great. Yep. I've never played that game. Maybe now's the chance. It's a decent game. It, it's definitely a GTA knockoff, a la Saints Row and and you know Crackdown and and games of that ilk. Um, but this is probably the best fleshed out one. Uh, it, it's open world mobster crime scene drive anywhere, shoot anything, complete missions, you know, drive from one mission to the next and and listen to drive to a mission, watch a cutscene, shoot everyone in the area, watch another cutscene, drive to the next mission. Like yeah. When you break GTA down, it's not that complicated. No. Uh but uh um but you know, of those GTA clones of of that, you know, 2005 to 2015 era this is definitely not a bad one to go with might have to check it out that was for the good of the order yes all right uh that pretty much does it for the news uh i i don't have any more articles that's a first yeah, like we're we're done thirty minutes early. I don't know whether to call the show or I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I guess at this point we can kind of open it up to questions. Uh, you know, what do you guys want to talk about? What do you want to know? Is there anything home lab related, VDI, graphics card, you know, grid? Uh, any any video comments that you'd like me to expand on? Uh, we could talk Morrowind. Uh, oh, really? Okay. So, question's closed. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, we'll just kind of open it up and, and we'll see how things go. Logitech handheld. Uh, for those Is who didn't one? see, the Logitech handheld leaked. Let me... Uh, and bring that up. Yeah, let me pull up that... Uh, here we go. <laughs> we got a brief look at Logitech's new handheld. 
Uh, and we knew that they were going to be coming to market with something. Uh, their G-Series was partnering with... Um, oh, gosh. Was it Tencent? Tencent. Um, oh, right. Yeah. And uh, they're creating essentially a handheld that was going to be aimed at streaming at like a Stadia style service. Um, and we got our first look at the handheld. And obviously, or honestly, it looks kind of like what I expected. It looks kind of like what I would expect Sony or Logitech to create. And not unlike a lot of the handhelds that have been coming out as of late, as far as Windows or Android based handhelds. Uh, we can tell right away this is probably Android based as it has access to the Google Play Store. But the good news is that it has access to the Google Play Store. So this is not going to be locked down to just game service streaming from Tencent slash Logitech, uh, which I think is a good thing. Anytime you have a device that at least you can sideload something, at least you can load other applications on, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Whether or not the service takes off, I have no idea what's inside the hardware. Who knows? Uh, but time will tell. And time will definitely tell when we see the pricing of this thing. Because there's handhelds out there right now, like the Ein Odin Pro, which are fantastic Android gaming handheld devices for less than $300. Uh, 240 $250 gets you a very competent mobile gaming device and game streaming device if you use something like virtual GPU, cloud gaming, or even like Xbox Live Now or or PlayStation Remote. So definitely, uh, definitely intriguing, but the service is going to be what sells this or doesn't. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, let's see. What did I think of She-Hulk? I actually haven't watched any of She-Hulk yet. It's it's on my list, but I haven't gotten to it. So. Yeah, I haven't either. I wasn't too sure about it. I kind of thought the trailer looked like not quite my cup of tea, but I've actually only heard good things. So mm -hmm. uh, I'll probably jump on that. My, my TV watching time has been committed to uh, my... I don't have that much. So I've been watching House of the Dragon, which is pretty good. I, and I watched the new Top Gun last night, which was actually, like, pretty good, too. I enjoyed the first Top Gun, so... Uh, Who doesn't enjoy the first Top Gun? Yeah, it goes pretty hard. And this one is, like, a pretty, like, worthy sequel. Mm -hmm. I thought that there was, like, a couple, uh, like, weird bits about it. and um, I don't know. Maybe it was just because I had, like, one too many, uh, you know, whiskey sours or whatever. But there was a couple things that stood out to me. I was like, eh. Is that the decision I would have made? But it like it holds up. It's like a pretty good, like dramatic, like it's a lot quieter, I think, uh, of a movie in general uh, than the first one. It's a little bit more uh, drama focused. Yeah, yeah I, I like it. So nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Jeff said Rhett's safe word. What is, what is that? Morrowind? Yeah, must uh, be. Yeah. Uh, John Jay wants to know, with the market being flooded with with handheld options, do you think the day of the cheap gaming PC will transition to these instead? That is a very interesting question because the the barrier of entry is definitely very low when it comes to devices like the Steam Deck, like the, 
the Ioneo air. The thing is, you're still not getting 1080p performance out of those devices. Uh, Until someone comes up with, and I'm looking at you, AMD, or even you, Intel, with, you know, ARC GPUs up and coming. Until one of them comes up with an APU that can sit inside of a laptop or handheld form factor and give us 1080p medium setting performance on AAA games, I think it's going to be a wash. I think some people who are looking at getting into PC gaming will definitely flock to devices like the Steam Deck, the the Ioneo Air, entry-level devices like that as far as handhelds go, um, because they're accessible and they're affordable. You know, under $600, you buy that or you buy a desktop. A desktop is always going to be more powerful, but the thing is, right now we're kind of limited to 720p gaming, and if I wanted to plug that into a monitor... For lack of better terms, it's kind of a shit show. Uh, right. the, the graphical horsepower is not there. And I think um, that's the big aspect, too. You think about We got one swear are... earlier in the show. I'm going to take mine there. So. <laughs> and yours Go is ahead. so tame. I know. <laughs> uh, one thing you think about, too, is like, at least in my sphere, the type of people who are buying, you know, quote unquote gaming PCs, even if they're like budgetary or whatever, um, they're doing a lot more than just gaming on it. Uh, whereas like something like the steam deck, like you're not going to be, I don't know, like writing your novel on it or whatever. Like these, uh, the type of people that are buying desktops that are doing all this, they like to use their desktops for more than just gaming, even though we call it a gaming PC or whatever. Uh, the build itself is geared towards getting top notch 1080p performance. Um, but in reality, you know, they want to have their, uh, nice, neat and tidy movie collection organized. They want to have their, I don't know, their, their, uh, digital audio workstation or their favorite preferred word processor or photo manipulation app or something like that. Um, you can't really do that on the Steam Deck, at least not that easily, um, or well. So I feel like. There's still like, you know, I, I, for lack of a better term, it's almost like the battle station culture, you know, like you're always going to have that. Like everybody wants to have right. their little, their little battle station as it were, where they could sit and they can enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and as far as like even mid range PC level replacement, if you, if you're talking like that level of performance, like if I wanted to take a handheld gaming PC and dock it, and use it and be able to do more than just gaming. Um, you have to look all the way as high as like an Ioneo Next at like $1,100 or $1,200 to get eight core 16 thread of, of Zen architecture right. with the 6800U. Um, and even then you're still limited to that 22 watt TDP and Vega 8 graphics. Um, so unless the APU horsepower starts to come up and get more affordable and make its way down two handhelds like that, I don't see them being viable replacements, even for laptops with discrete graphics, let alone entry-level desktops at, you know, the five, six, $700 price point. I do think they are an option for people who are looking for gaming on the go. And I think they're an option for people who are looking for just a standard piece, you know, gaming PC, and maybe don't mind gaming at 720p. So, yeah. 
But 720p is starting to look a little dated, especially on modern displays. So, uh, Finally got my Steam Deck email, pre-ordered in February, decided didn't actually need one. Aw. It's from Elliot. Uh, let's you gotta see. do what I do. Don't pre-order, you know? Just get in on that. <laughs> well, you cheated. <laughs> it's the thing that I didn't know that I needed until I had it. <laughs> right, right. Hey, Rhett, want a Steam Deck? Yeah, sure, I guess. <laughs> uh, rumor says Logitech, handheld disease in the Snapdragon 730G, 8 gigs of RAM and 128 gigs storage. So basically a mid-range smartphone. Yeah, and and that's kind of the same combination that uh, that the iNode and Pro is using. It's using a Snapdragon 845, which is a couple of year old, but still a flagship smartphone uh, CPU with decent graphical horsepower and a moderate amount of storage. and if you can add a micro SD card in there, all the better. Uh, hey, got here just in time for a little bit of the show. LOL, cheers all. That's from Rev. Hello, Rev. Welcome uh, back. Welcome see. aboard. Michael says he still thinks that augmented reality will take off at some point. I think in some way, shape, or form it needs to, but there needs to be a killer app. Uh, there's been hints of killer apps for like motorcycles for heads up displays for uh, like navigation and, and, you know, basic interaction or, or phone answering kind of things. Uh, when I did get the opportunity to try a Google glass Explorer edition and drove from Portland back to Salem wearing it. And you could see the map overlaid in the top corner of your vision and as you were taking turns, the map rotated with you. And it was just like a like a wireframe grid view, but it was cool and it was information that was right there and it was easy to access. And it didn't take my eyes or my attention off of anything else that I was doing. And uh, it was great. Uh, and so augmented reality definitely has some very intriguing use cases, but at this point it's down to software. Uh, you know, I mean, you it's say also we down need to hard, app, right? It's also but... down to hardware compatibility because I have an Nreal Air set of AR glasses, which are some of the best-looking mobile displays that I've ever seen in my life, and that's including virtual reality displays. Um, yet I can't plug it into my smartphone because my smartphone doesn't support DisplayPort Alt mode over USB-C, so. I'm limited to the use case that I have with that particular set of hardware. Yeah, we'll get there, I think. I, I right. think it's eventually, like, obviously, we're going to see more uh, ubiquity with AR than we do ever did with VR, you know? Right. I think in a way, like, VR will be reserved for gaming and sort of like that novelty aspect. Um, whereas AR, sky's the limit once you get it going right. Right. I mean, we got Pokemon Go, so now we just need the next version of that, you know. That we do. Not Pokemon Go, but Pokemon... Whoa. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nintendo, hire this man. Give me a call. Uh, Novella Hub says, how's the focal banger, uh, Craft Computing? Uh, that is The Alchemist. Fantastic. Um... 
it's called The Godfather of Hazies for a reason. And it kind of introduced that original hazy IPA flavor profile. And it's what every brewer was chasing for probably four or five years. Uh, so The Alchemist came out in like 2010, 2012, something like that. And through those mid-2010s and, and on to 2020, we kind of got recreations of this that were worse. Uh, where the acidic nature uh, and, and the, the citrus and the acid overpowered everything within the flavor. There's good flavors in hazy IPAs, but allowing them to breathe was the difficult part. And even the alchemist straddles that line where my throat isn't like raw. It's not like a chemical burn on the back of my throat, like some hazies that I've had do. Um, but uh, midway through, it does kind of numb your, your taste a little bit, uh, where it's still very pleasant. It's still very enjoyable. But I feel like any other beer that I have after this, I'd be only experiencing about 35% of it. Because this just kind of kills your taste. So it's good, though. It's very good. You know, pineapple juice does that, apparently. It actually, like, physically burns your, like, taste bud and throat. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Paul and D. Cool. says he's wearing Google Glass right now. That's awesome. <laughs> is he watching us on Google Glass, or is he just wearing it? He's, like, doing uh, the Minority Report thing, like, while right. he's watching us. Yeah. AR Gaming would be nuts with something like Real World Splatoon and Friends. I've always been very intrigued by virtual reality and augmented reality. Um, and uh, gosh, uh, LGR, Clint, Lazy Game Review, did a video this morning, or posted a video this morning about um, some of the weird webcam games that we got in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, in particular, he had a Logitech called Cam Game or something like that. And the technology was really cool where it would, very similar to, to Zoom or modern webcam applications, you could take a webcam based on USB 1.1 back in that day, which was like 320 by 200 resolution. And it would do, it would crop you out of the image and basically like chroma key you automatically. Uh, it could also detect motion and interpose you into games and you could play basketball and volleyball and darts and boxing and, and other kinds of games like that. Um, and he mentioned that one of the companies behind that technology did a couple expos around the country where they would allow you to stand in front of a blue screen and they would interpose you in front of games. And he played a shark attack game. And he goes, that game lives like vividly in his mind. Um, I got to do a very similar experience and I'm fairly certain it was the same company where I stood in front of a green screen, they put a, gr or a blue screen, they put a green glove onto my right hand, which was closest to the camera, and then put me onto a basketball court. And so I got to look at this, you know, 50 foot screen theater-sized screen where 
I'm standing on a basketball court and like in a three-point competition. And I, I can still see it today. There, there's a rack of basketballs right next to you. You reach out, you grab a ball, and then you jump and you shoot. And, uh, and you try to do as many as you can. And it was so simple in its execution, but at the same time, it was like, like early teenage Jeff was going, holy crap, I'm on the holodeck. And, and, and that, that exact thing just imprinted in the back of my mind. And I've always remembered that experience, even though it was like five minutes of my life. It was just so cool to be able to, to try that and experience that. And I've, all, I've been chasing that high with virtual reality and augmented reality ever since. And there are times we hit that. Half-Life Alex, you know, uh, introducing the Quest 2 and, and PC Link. And now I can play wirelessly wherever I'm at and stream from my desktop. And I don't have to trip over cables. And it, like, there are experiences that are up to that level and even beyond nowadays but it's kind of cool how far we've come already yeah uh let's see what else we got you see any good questions there Rhett? well somebody asked you uh which uh was the best of the great houses of morwind and i answered on your behalf i said tell vani um Although I'm pretty sure they said Telvani too, so we were we were in sync with them, okay. um, and it's just because of their rejection of Outlanders, uh, their resistance to Imperial meddling. I mean, you know, plus who doesn't like just crazy mad wizards that live in giant mushrooms? You right. Know? Who 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 wanted the Imperials coming into their land and dictating law and order? Like, right. um, like the no little... native culture would like that. So right. Well, House Lalu likes that. That's why they suck, idiots. I mean, mean, those guys are dorks, dude. Dorks. Yeah. I'm sure no one asked about Morrowind. That's just Fred. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Somebody asked. Somebody did ask. Don't make me look for it. Uh, Adam says he has a he had a similar experience with VR 1995-96 using a VFX1 headgear head mounted display and playing Looking Glass Flight Unlimited. I also had a really good friend of mine who had a, a VFX1 and had the modified version of Descent 2 that you could play in VR. So I also got to experience that. And up until the release of Overload uh, which we actually covered at PAX 2019. Um, yeah. Got to meet the developers, which were that the original cool. developers of, of Descent. Uh, super cool guys. And what was really funny is I sat down on uh, uh, to, to play the demo that they had set up. And they're like, you've played Descent before, haven't you? <laughs> was the first thing they said. Because I am totally at home, like, drifting and banking. And, you know, I, I play... When I played Descent, I played it on a keyboard. And because of that experience of, of playing Descent and, and having all those different keys that you had to manipulate at the same time, like I didn't have joystick directions. I had like, you know, yeah. you're hitting three keys to move three axes at the same time. 
I literally felt like I was, you know, piloting a shuttlecraft from Star Trek. Like, yeah. that's what it felt like. Um, and and so giving me a controller is just like, oh, this is easy now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it, that was, like, boyhood, like, super, super fun, rewarding, you know, dream fulfilling. Like, the dev of, of Descent goes, you've done this before, haven't you? Yes. Yes, I have. Thank you. <laughs> Adam says, um, I'm sure that was vomit inducing. And yeah, I watched Jeff play oh, for yes. like a minute and I was like, oh, I can't do this. No, he's talking about the the VFX one headset in Descent 2 back in 1996. Oh, man. Oh, man. Holy crap, yes. Um, uh, oh, my stomach was just thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, 640 by 480, 2i. Uh, now it was parallax. It was uh, side by side 3D, and so you did get some depth perception to it. Um, but uh, yeah, man, no head rotation at all. There was no looking around. It was locked position. So it's the worst experience that you could have in VR. If you lean yourself forward and like look down at the sand, like adjust yourself in your chair, and like your head moves so much. Um, if your vision doesn't move with your head, the fluid in your ears makes you want to vomit. Like, yeah. just a natural thing. So, yes. You, you Vomit-inducing, vomit inducing, but also I've been chasing that same high ever since. And it wasn't until Overload came out with VR support that I found it. <laughs> well, see, and that should tell you right there, too, because he was talking about your headset experience, and I was talking about just watching it on a screen. Right. <laughs> when you were playing it, I was like, I gotta go. Granted, uh, we had had a, a champions, uh, night out the night before, and I was, uh, paying my debts, yes. you know, I was, I was, uh, paying for life's peaks by living in the depths of life's valleys. Uh, so I couldn't watch that for very long. Also, like when I, uh, first was sort of meeting Jeff, he had this like VR studio and he had like a, a, a car project cars night. And oh my God, I thought that would be so fun. And I went up there and I raced and I did pretty well. And it screwed me up for the rest of the night. I didn't throw up. I wanted to. <laughs> Jeff was like, I took the headset off and Jeff like literally like grab that bucket over there. And some yeah. dude like brought me I thought a you were going to go. I thought I was you were like green go. in the face, man. I went downstairs. My wife was like, are you okay? And like, I couldn't drink for the rest of the night. I like could barely. You're like my eat life has food. changed forever, but I'm not gonna. But yeah, the night it, is also ruined. And it was like I woke up in the morning and still was like, "Wow, I'm still finding my equilibrium after that." Mm -hmm. Like it, that was messed up. And you and you know why that is? I was gonna say this a, a little earlier ago is because there's some poisons apparently that uh, our body has adapted to that throw off your equilibrium in such a way that it triggers the response of like, hey, time to barf this poison out. That's yeah. why you get nauseous um, in those instances, because it is triggering a response that our body has to a poison. Yep. Uh, uh, Rev says, I'd probably love the game Everspace, very similar flight feel. I've played Everspace, and I've also got the beta for Everspace 2. Uh, Definitely similar, but those I would almost attribute more to Descent Free Space, to the, the Free Space series, after Interplay was, like, almost dead. Um, because they're a little bit more open space. They're they're more space combat-oriented rather than 
enclosed 3D volumetric shooter. Splitting hairs, but yeah. Uh, it was pretty good with the full cockpit. If you moved your head, you could look to the side and even behind you. Uh, I don't remember being able to move my head. I don't know if the IR sensors weren't working, which by the way, there were like three infrared lights on the headset and there was a sensor on top of the screen. Um, I do remember that, but I don't remember it actually working in descent. So maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Uh, oh God, drinking NVR, gluten, <laughs> glutton for punishment. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we did uh, VR racing hot laps and the gentleman's agreement was two drink minimum. Yeah. And it was above the bar, so which made it which, easy. Which, by the way, <laughs> would probably make a fantastic craft premium video if we got the four of us together. I could maybe do it if I'm prepared. Yeah. I don't know, man. That messed me up. I think part of it was like I, I had only done uh well i'd only done project cards a handful of times like with the setup like that mm -hmm. and so once you kind of dial it in and you sort of know like where to turn your head like at first you get in you're like oh wow this is cool but then you're driving in such a way your body is like oh well i need to be feeling like some g-forces or something or right. i don't know what it is and you're not feeling it but once i kind of had it dialed in um, i did okay i mean hey i finished uh i finished my laps without hurling so that says something yeah uh we need to see terminal velocity make a return actually you can buy terminal velocity over on gog uh and in fact i did six months ago or so uh terminal velocity was one of the original space or 3d flight shooters uh and it was actually for 486 pcs it used uh it was a very interesting game. I believe it may have been built on the build engine. It shared shared an engine with Duke Nukem 3D. Am I talking out my butt there? Or I think it might have. I think it might have been based on a build engine game. Um, but lots of fun. Uh, uh, Jedi Master wants to know, are the un upcoming Intel chips going to be better for gaming than the announced AMD chips? I'm getting mixed answers. The answers you're getting are from people who don't know. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be very blunt about that. Anyone who says AMD is the best or Intel is the best about chips that haven't been released are talking out their ass. They haven't a clue. Until you compare a Raptor Lake against a Zen 4 side by side in the same game with the same settings, with the same graphics card, you don't know. You don't know. It's speculation. It's speculation at best. What I can tell you is probably either of those chips is going to kick absolute ass. Uh, I've been saying this for years. Competition is good for the industry. And when competition happens, the consumer wins. We're going to start, you know, harvesting the fruits of that labor. I think this generation, I think this generation of chips is going to be absolutely insane. And whatever you buy, you're going to win. Uh, I, I don't think there's going to be any question about a 13600K and a 7600X going head-to-head -head and someone going, they're both great chips. Yeah, they probably are. They're probably within a couple percentage points of each other, and they're probably 30% better than what you could buy two years ago. Uh, so 
But if anyone says they have a definitive answer, they're full of shit. Uh, is Rhett a dabbler? Is Rhett a dabbler in traditional console RPGs like Zelda? He may appreciate Tunic. Very artsy, very old school feel. Uh, yeah, I've never played it, but it's been recommended to me so much, and um, mm. I've had a lot of friends say I'd like it. In fact, I just looked it up on Steam just to see what the reviews said after you typed that in. Uh, the uh, first recommendation says if you liked Outer Wilds, you would like this game go into it without uh spoiling yourself and uh that right there is like all the sales pitch i need because outer wilds is like that's a, a little diamond in the rough right there so yes. if people are comparing them in some way maybe not outer worlds that. outer wilds outer wilds which is a fantastic game. it is a i mean outer trippy worlds is AF cool too, game. yeah yeah oh they're both great but uh, so I don't know, Andrew, maybe uh, you could confirm if they're anything like if you play them both. But uh, I love the art style. I love the vibe. Um, I'm a big fan of, of games like that. So good recommendation. I might have to pick it up. Hyperlight Drifter is I don't know if it's that similar, but it's kind of that top down uh, sort of vibe. And um, Hyperlight Drifter is like one of my top 10 games. I love that. So mm -hmm. Uh, Elmist, $50 US this time. Not yen, he's in USD. Uh, I'm still in Japan, but progress. I'm in the airport waiting to fly. Everyone should join the Patreon and get into the Discord where you can chat with characters like me, Skull, Jeremy, RGB, and many others. Oh yes, and Chef. <laughs> Thank you very much, good sir. Thank you for the super chat. Um, yeah, uh, join the Patreon. Uh, join the after party. We uh, we get on video chat in the Discord every single Wednesday after the show and talk it up into the early hours of the morning. It is always a great time. Uh, if you enjoyed the Ask Me Anything segment of tonight's show, that's very much like what you'll get in the after party, but uh, everyone else can join in too. And it's just a great time. So, Indeed. Uh, someone up earlier mentioned uh, they had experienced Doom with 3D sound for the first time. Michael S. There it is. I found it. First time I heard Doom audio in 3D way back time. That freaked me out playing Doom. I'll tell you, the time that I got freaked out with 3D audio was playing Thief. I don't know if it was Thief 1 or Thief 2, but it was 1997, maybe 1998. Um, and we had a set of Creative Labs 5.1 speakers that we had just bought and had just bought like a new, uh, Sound Blaster Audigy and, you know, had, had the PC just like decked out and had full 3D audio for games that supported it. Um, and I remember... It's like 11 o'clock at night and my parents have gone to bed and I'm staying up and I'm playing Thief. And for those who have never played Thief, it is a uh, some of the most wonderful early AI that is in games. Um, so it's a stealth style game, medieval steampunk style, where you're supposed to break into buildings and steal things. 
Uh, but there's guards all around, and the guards have varying levels of intelligence and and awareness and and whatnot. And there's both visual and audio uh, elements to stealth. And so if you make too much noise, they'll hear you. If they see you in the light, they'll see you. Uh, and so you have to stay in the shadows. You have to stay quiet. Uh, I remember one time I was on a mission and I was probably 40 minutes into this level and, uh, I spooked a guard. I came around a corner that I thought was clear and a guard is 20 feet down the hallway and he goes, wait, Taffer, and starts chasing after me. And it's like, oh crap, not only did he see something, but he identified an intruder. He's going to look for me. And the AI and thief will run into the direction that you were. They will look for you for a minute. And if they can't find you, they'll go find four of their friends and then come back and then spread out and search. Uh, and it's really creepy. And so I'm like leaping over walls and climbing through hallways and whatnot. And I finally found a spot that I could duck behind a couple of boxes. And it was like in, in this open courtyard. And uh, so I jumped in the courtyard and there were some boxes in the corner and I jumped behind the boxes. There's also a, uh, a hallway, like a, uh, a thoroughway that's above me and behind me that that guards can walk along the top. And so basically they can walk on all sides of me. And if you're following, I have 3D audio installed. Uh, I have never been more freaked out playing a game than I was that night because I'm crouched down behind the barrel. I can see a guard in front of me holding a sword going, where's he at? And, and marching around the courtyard like he does. I can also hear footsteps above and behind me. Uh, so... <laughs> That was freaky. And I've still been chasing that high. Yeah, that's great. I've never been spooked out by 3D audio. Although, well, there was one experience. It's actually, uh, I don't know if you'd qualify it as 3D audio, but it was a YouTube video. God, I had to have watched it in like 2005. What was that called? Something about a haircut. Uh, let me see if I can. Uh, yeah, virtual barbershop. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, the go to go Google uh, YouTube virtual barbershop, um, and it says audio. Use headphones. Close your eyes. Uh, what did this get posted? I don't know. I can't tell. But oh my god, this like that rocked my world. First time I watched that, which had to have been like mid-aughts. Yeah. I can't see when it was posted, unfortunately. Uh, 15 years ago. <laughs> it has 38 million views. Uh, unfortunately, that was still late aughts. That was 2008. Oh, no. <laughs> Doesn't that hurt? Uh, I don't like that. Jeff did that to me the other day. I was like, hey, when did this thing start becoming like ubiquitous with PCs? And he was like, you know, I don't know, 2017. And I was like, oh, so just a couple years ago. And he goes, yeah, I got to let you know, bud. That was like at least five years ago. <laughs> I was like, okay, sir. Mm -hmm. You've chosen violence today. I don't appreciate that. Yep.
So I also don't like that. I can recall an experience I had like 15 years ago and talk about it. Like it was just a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's happened to me multiple, multiple times. Anyway, it is five past the hour. I think that's a good time to call Perfect. it a show. Thank you so much for watching episode 249 here on Talking Heads. Uh, join us every Wednesday night at 6, 6 p.m. Pacific time for the latest in beer and tech news. If you didn't read the top of the video description, please go read that. Please go show El Jefe some love. Uh, good friend of, of myself, good friend of the channel, uh, going through a pretty difficult situation right now. Uh, anyway, if you like this video, make sure to hit that thumbs up button. Subscribe to Craft Computing if you haven't done so already. Follow me on Twitter at Craft Computing for daily shenanigans. Follow Rhett on Twitter at RhettIsAwesome or at GameDevsQuest in his other hat that he wears. Uh, Rhett, anything coming up? Anything just happened you want to talk about? No, nothing uh, super big going on. Just uh, doing that old that old hustle and grind. So Sweet. I will be on the show next week as well. Looking forward to it. Covering for Steve while he's out. Um, yeah, I decided so to yeah. give Steve a break. Yeah, yeah, you know. Got to keep the underlings in line, you know. <laughs> I, I rule with a, a firm hand, yeah. <laughs> Keeper of the calendar over here. See, see, this is a problem. You give Rhett one ounce of power. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much for watching. And